actually just wrapped up our Advent series. And before we dive back into our ongoing John series that we've been going through for several months now, what I want to do is I want to take a look at a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 25, known as the parable of the talents. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up and and go ahead and start turning there to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one either underneath your seat or somewhere around you, and that is uh, our gift to you to be able to go home and have uh, for you to be able to read. And as you turn there, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you some context of what is going on into or in today's passage that we're going to study together. So this parable of the talents is actually part of a greater section of biblical text known as the Olivet Discourse or extended teachings that Jesus gives from the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse makes sense. And the subject of this Olivet Discourse is actually the end times. Now I know end times, people get a little spooked out by that. Don't, okay? Uh, It is something that we should be talking about because um, if you think about it, the end times is what we're living in right now. Yes or no? We are, right? And so these are things that we need to be talking about. And so what Jesus does in this Olivet Discourse is he explains four different parables that he is uh, going to tell in order to have his first century audience and us today be able to understand how we should be living in light of his imminent return. Uh, And the parable of the talents is one of these parables. And that phrase, how we should live in light of his imminent return, is important for us to be thinking about and keeping at the forefront of our minds as we open God's word together today. Before we do, before we dive into this parable and we see what Jesus is explaining to us, I would like to pray once more just to ask him to, to prepare our hearts in order to receive what he has for us. So would you pray with me, please? Uh, Father God, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to deliver your word. Um, I pray that you would speak through me, you would speak the truth of what your word has to say. Would you uh, help us to put aside any distractions, anything in life that wants to uh, take away from what you have to teach us this morning? And would we be able to be singularly focused on the message that you are bringing to us today, that our lives would be changed and that our lives would be impacted by the gospel? In your name I pray, amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, the first point that I want to share with you today is that Jesus has chosen to trust us with what belongs to him. And we are going to see this in the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. So let's paint this picture for a moment. What's happening here is Jesus is telling a parable or story to try to to teach his listeners something. And, And before we go any further, I think it's important for us to define that second word in verse 14, it's the word it. Right, like what is Jesus referring to when he says, for it will be like? What is it? Well, the answer to this is actually revealed earlier on in chapter 25. The word it refers to the kingdom of heaven. And so our passage is telling us something about the kingdom of heaven that must be considered. And upon reading these first few verses, we see that this parable has four characters. 
First, you see this man who could also be called a master. And what he seems to be is a very wealthy man because what is he doing? He is going to entrust his wealth to three of his servants, right? And those are your other three characters in the story. And, and what he expects them to do is to take care of what he is entrusting them with. And it, it says, we just read that what he entrusted them with was three different amounts, five talents, two talents, one talent. We don't mean talent like being able to you know, play the, uh, the flute really well or something like that, but we're talking about amounts of money. And these are talents that this master is going to extend to his three servants. And, and this is actually not an uncommon practice in ancient times where servants were often given a great responsibility. That's something that happened often. And it says here that, that he gave them based on their abilities. It doesn't say what those abilities are. And we can rack our brains trying to figure out. I, I don't think that's what matters. I think what matters more than that is that this man chose to give his possessions what he owned to these men because he trusted them. Did the master have to give his possessions away? Yes or no? He didn't, right? But he chose to do so. It doesn't indicate anywhere in these first few verses that they deserved it or they did anything to be able to receive it. Really, what this master did was an act of total grace on his part. And notice that it says that he entrusted his possessions to them. That word entrusted is, is a really significant word. The word entrust here means to, to keep, to use, to take care of, to manage. The master wasn't relinquishing ownership of what belonged to him, to his servants, but he was allowing them to use what belonged to him. And, and the same thing is, it goes for us in, in relation to our life today. You know, everything in this universe, who owns it? God, yeah, very good. God, right? Everything in this universe, God owns. It doesn't matter what it is. We sometimes think that the possessions that we have actually belongs to us because we work super hard and we you know, put the hours in and made the money or bought the thing or whatever the case may be. But really, at the end of the day, everything in this world belongs to God. And he has chosen to allow us to have those things. Whether it's money, fame, possessions, jobs, whatever, ultimately God is responsible for creating everything that we have and therefore it's not ours. It is not ours, but thankfully he trusts us with the things that he gives us. It kind of reminds me of whenever I graduated high school and I was going uh, into my freshman year of college and, and that summer between high school and my freshman year of college, the church that I was attending at the time was actually going to start participating in a church softball league. I was super excited. They had done this before, but I was too young, and now I was of age, and so I was able to participate. Now, I never really grew up playing baseball. Okay, in fact, I played one year, and I could hardly bunt. But I really enjoyed it, okay? And so whenever I was going to get to play this softball league, I was really excited. I was going to be able to play with my mom and with my dad and some friends from, from the church that I was attending. But there was a problem. Because I had not really grown up playing baseball, I didn't have a pretty big essential, which is a glove. Got to have a glove. I mean, I guess I can try to catch with my hands. Probably a bad idea, right? So I needed 
a glove. Well, remember, I just got out of high school. I'm fixing to go into my freshman year of college. I didn't have any money. And plus, if I had gone to academy or something, I'd have seen several, several gloves and not know what the heck I was doing. And so I wasn't going to spend, you know, an arm and a leg to get a glove. And so I was really in a bad spot. But my mom came up with a solution. Go moms. And what she did is she actually gave me one of her gloves to use. And this was a pretty significant thing because my mom had actually grown up playing softball and she was actually really good. Whenever I was a little guy, she would be playing in rec softball leagues and all kinds of stuff like that. And so, you know, that glove had really been around the block and she had put a lot of time and energy into the use of that glove and she was going to give this to me to use. It was, it was such a big deal. Now, incidentally, I lost it, but that's a different story. <laughs> It was really, really awesome that my mom gave me this glove. And, and you know what this master in this parable does, who by the way is symbolic of Jesus, what he does for these servants is very similar to what my mom did for me. That glove belonged to her. She didn't have to give me that glove, but she chose to. And she chose to give it to me in order to look after and to have at the time. We have to understand that out of his abundant grace, God gives us the opportunity to use and to look after what he has entrusted to us. We can't lose sight of the fact that it really belongs to him. And this is something that he has given us to do out of his grace. God doesn't have to give us anything. And if you think about it, the sinful, wretched people that we are, we don't deserve it, do we? But he gives it to us anyway. And that's a big deal. And that's what I want you to keep in your mind as we move on to the next set of verses. Because what we're going to see in this next set of verses is what the servants did with what they were entrusted with. So again, if you're taking notes, here's point number two. We have the responsibility to make the most of what Jesus has entrusted us with. Let's read verses 16 through 18 to see what each servant did with what was entrusted to him. So chapter 25, starting in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Of course, this master's gonna come back, right? The, the, the text says that he went on a long journey. Typically, you go on a long journey, it's understood that you're going to return. This eventual return was going to happen. And so these three servants are at a point where they have a responsibility to do something with what was entrusted to them. And, and thankfully... Two of them did, right? And what was entrusted to them was according to their talents. And this is an amount of money, just as a reminder. And what we see is this first servant who received five talents, what did he go and do? He made five more talents, didn't he? Thank you, sir. He made five more talents. Way to go, servant number one. And I don't know if you noticed this, but it said that he went at once. He didn't mess around. He didn't waste time. He immediately went and made something out of what had been entrusted to him by his master. 
Servant number two, who received two talents, he too went and doubled what he had received from the master. However, when we get to the third servant, we see a very different mode of action from this third servant. Rather than use what the master had given to him, he decided to do what? To go dig a hole and bury or hide what his master had given him. Rather than doing something positive, rather than something constructive, rather than making an investment with the master's wealth, he chose to basically do nothing. How many of us are doing that right now with what God has entrusted us? You know, I think we gotta be very cautious at this point about something. If we're not careful, it'd be really easy to play the comparison game here. What I mean by that is that it would be easy to compare the third servant who received only one talent with those that received five and two. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I found myself thinking, hey, because the third servant only received one talent, shouldn't he be kind of let off the hook? Like, cut him some slack. He only received one talent. But church, let me tell you, that's not how God operates. God has entrusted every single one of us with gifts and talents and abilities that he expects us to use. Some have more, some have less. Does that mean that these guys are off the hook? It absolutely does not. God has the expectation for us to do something with what he's given us. Remember, he gives talents, gifts, and abilities according to our ability. And so as we apply this to our own lives, we have a responsibility as well. For each and every one of us, we have received gifts and talents and abilities from God. In fact, one specific thing that we receive if we call ourselves a Christian is every single one of us, the Bible says, has a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Every single one of us. If we've put our faith and trust in Christ, God has entrusted to us some spiritual gift according to his choosing that he expects us to use. How do I know? This tells us. Listen to Romans chapter three, start, or Romans chapter 12, excuse me, starting in verse three. Paul writes, "For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He talks about spiritual gifts again later on in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then drop down to verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, that's God, wills. All of us have spiritual gifts that we've been given according to the grace of God. Again, 
nobody in this room, myself included, deserves anything. But God has chosen to give us these things. And God has the expectation for us to do something with them. And with that expectation that he would, we would use them for him, right? We can go do good things for ourselves, but really that's not what it's about, right? We're using our spiritual gifts in order to bring him glory. That's the same expectation that the master had on these servants we were just talking about. And in the next section of this passage, we're going to see the results of each servant's investment. So I want you to look at verse 19. It says, Now... After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Again, we're, we're going to focus on the first two servants. First, the ones who actually had five and two talents. And what did both of them do? Well, the Bible says that both of them went and doubled what had been given to them. This, this uh, part was read earlier by, uh, by Daniel, and I want to read it again. Verses 20 through 23. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And listen to the master's response. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And again, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I cannot overemphasize the master's response here. Well done, good and faithful servant. For the master to respond in this way shows that he looked for the goodness and the faithfulness in his servants. The master didn't care about the amount of money. He cared about their faithfulness. Whatever their financial success was, was secondary to their faithfulness. One uh, famous pastor and theologian, Charles Spurgeon, said this about this part of this passage. He says, This is not the servant's portion, but the master's portion shared with his faithful servants. Not so much that we shall have a joy of our own, but that we shall enter into the joy of our Lord. Because they were faithful with what they had received from the beginning, the master said, Hey, I'm going to put you in charge of a whole lot more. Like, that's a big deal. And notice that the master's response was the same despite the fact that one received five talents and one received two. You know what that goes to show? It's not based upon an amount. If we are faithful with what God has for us, he will bless it and he will use it. While all this wonderful thing is, things are happening and you, know, you see the, uh, the master respond to the first two servants, unfortunately, with the third servant, things are significantly different, aren't they? 
When the master asks this third servant, basically, hey, what did you do with what you were given? Once you look at what he says here, this is the third servant's response in verse 24. He also who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Basically, this third servant did nothing with what God had given him. And did you notice he tried to blame it on the master? He says, hey, you know what, because you're rich and powerful, that was scary to me, and so I just did nothing with it. I thought I would just go and bury it, and here, you can have back what you gave to me. What? We have to remember that the master, master originally gave out of abundant grace, right? The master did not have to do that at the very beginning, but chose to. And so for this third servant to blame it on the master as if it was his fault just doesn't really make any sense. As a result, rather than calling the third servant a good and faithful servant, the master says that he's wicked and slothful, or in other words, a lazy servant. And not only that, strict punishment came as well. Because he was wicked and lazy, the text says that the servant demonstrated that he wasn't really a true servant at all. And I want you to listen to what happens to him. Verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we can read that and think, man, that is pretty harsh. But remember, the text said that the master came back after a long time, didn't he? Right now, we are living in the end times. We are living in a time where Jesus has left this world and one day he's coming back. And he has waited a long time for many to come to know him. He has waited a long time for those that he has entrusted his gifts to, to use them. And that's what we have a responsibility to do. And when you read verse 29, it kind of seems like there is a promotion of like this wealthy versus poor kind of gap, but that's not what he's saying here. Verse 29, when he says that, that all who have more, they will have uh, an abundance, and those who have not, it will be taken away. What he's saying here is that for those who have been given a lot and are using that, more will be given to them. And for those who are not using what God has given to them, it will be taken away. If you're taking notes, here is the third and final point. Jesus responds justly according to our investment. Justly. It is appropriate that this third servant was cast forever out of the master's presence. The servant's laziness indicated a lack of love, a lack of desire, and a lack of faith in the master. And really, that's the difference maker here, if you think about it. Like how each servant viewed the master's gift directly affected what they did with it, right? 
Those first two servants, they realized how big of a deal it was that this wealthy master chose to give them a portion of his wealth. And what'd they do? They went and used it. They multiplied it, didn't they? But that third servant, he didn't get it. He failed to see what an act of grace this was in part on, on the part of the master, and he, he chose to do nothing. And so as we take this parable and we apply it to our own lives, it begs the question, how do we view the ultimate gift from God, which really is himself, right? Hasn't God gifted us himself in the person of Jesus? Yes or no? He has. And if we view this gift as a matter of grace, it affects how we receive him and it affects how we honor and please and show our love for him. Hopefully you remember what I said earlier that this is a parable that is intended to help us understand how to live in light of Christ's return. In fact, in verse 13, which is right before what we read today, the, the text says that we should be watchful for the return of Jesus because we know not the hour or the day of his return. In this interim between Jesus leaving this world as he did earlier in, in scripture and then when he plans to return again, we have a responsibility, church. We do. And so what I'd like to do is, as, as we live in this time, and hopefully we're anticipating this return of Jesus, I wanna share with you just some reflection questions as we wrap up our time today. Question number one, do we see the gifts of Jesus as something we deserve or as an act of grace? And by gifts, that's twofold. First, the gift of eternal life made possible through faith in Jesus, and then the gifts that he gives us in our everyday lives. Both are important. And I would say the first, infinitely more important than the second. It begins with faith and trust in Jesus. That's our starting point. And the way we see God's grace is directly proportional to how we steward what we've been given. Let me say that again. The way we see God's grace is directly proportional to how we steward what we've been given. Meaning that if we see God's grace as this incredible, amazing thing, totally undeserving phenomenon, then we will avoid spiritual laziness and make use of everything that he's given us. To do what? To honor him. Question number two. What are some ways that we can use our gifts and talents to serve God? Remember, the, the Bible says that we all have gifts and talents to serve him. And the opportunities are out there, I promise. Whether that's at your workplace or in your circle of friends or this church, whatever. And truth be told, this pandemic that we've lived in over the last several months has really put a damper and significantly affected those available opportunities, yes or no? It's true. But you know what? It hasn't completely erased those opportunities. Friends, let me tell you, there's somebody out there who needs you. They need Jesus through you, let's say that. There's somebody out there that can benefit from the gift that you have, whatever that may be. And Jesus wants you to use that. Don't let COVID-19 be the excuse for why you are not using what God has given you to bless somebody else 
My encouragement to all of us is that we first pray for those opportunities, ask God to reveal that to you, whatever it may be, and then to use those opportunities. And guess what? 2021's right around the corner. What a perfect opportunity. And here's question number three. What will Jesus say to us when we give an account for our time here on this earth? You know, the Bible says that we will all give an account. We will all give an explanation of our good deeds, our bad deeds, everything that happens on this earth. And it's my hope that someday we will all stand before Jesus as those who believe the gospel and are living lives that reflect that commitment. And then individually, we will all be able to hear the beautiful words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. As the worship team makes their way to the front, let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that through the use of stories, parables, and the, and the truths that you use to explain those things, we can learn how you relate to us. We can see the acts of grace that you bestow upon us each and every day, culminating in the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And so Lord, would that be what we think about and what we settle first? the receiving of the gift of the gospel. That we would recognize that you didn't have to send your son Jesus on our behalf. In our wrongdoing, in our mess ups, we absolutely deserved separation from you. But you didn't want that. Through your grace, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to be resurrected, to defeat death, would that be the first act of grace that we receive even now? If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, who has never made the choice, the decision to put their faith and trust in you, would that be what they decide today? And then once that has been settled, and for those who are already Christians, who have already put their faith and trust in you, would we be thinking about the gifts of grace that you give us on a daily basis? Would we be like the servants who receive gifts and use them to multiply the kingdom? Would we be people that you use to change this world through the power of the gospel? Lord, I thank you so much for every person in this room. I thank you that you have chosen to bestow on each and every one of us spiritual gifts. And we have a choice whether or not to use those. And it's my humble prayer that every single person will leave this room today considering what that spiritual gift may be. And maybe they already know. And deciding because of the grace of God sending Jesus on my behalf, I wanna use what God has been given me to help change somebody else's life. 
Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in and through it. And as we head into 2021, would we be a people that never forget the grace that you give to us and be a people who will not let a pandemic or the ugliness of life keep us from being used by you to change this community, to change this world. It's in your name I pray, amen.